It's wonderful to be here at um, Apex Church, and uh, we really consider this a home from home. Um, Mark touched upon it, but um, my job at, uh, um, in Oxford is I'm the director of ministerial training at uh, Wycliffe Hall, Oxford. And um, that should be working now, or maybe not. Um, and Wycliffe Hall, Oxford is um, it's a, an Anglican theological college, which is founded in 1877 by a guy called J.C. Ryle. I don't know if any of you come across that name. He was a, a godly evangelical bishop of many years ago. He was the first bishop of Liverpool. And uh, J.C. Ryle founded Wycliffe Hall in Oxford. And um, uh, Wycliffe has a, it has a kind of like a dual um, identity. It's a college of Oxford University. It's one of the 44 colleges of Oxford University. But it's also an Anglican theological college as well. So about half of our students are um, what we call ordinands. They're uh, trainee vicars. For the Church of England, and the other half uh, are independent students. They're doing a whole array of different theological courses. And uh, anyway, as, pa- as part of that, I get um, um, a house in with the job. So I'm, there's, a, there's a house that we live in, which comes with the role in North Oxford. And uh, so we were able to, um, without with our money, our, our investment, to, bu- to buy a place of our own. And we decided, uh, rather than get it near Oxford, to, to get it somewhere that we could come and enjoy. To, uh, it's a bit of a bolt hole for weekends and that kind of thing. And we decided cows. And uh, so uh, we moved here. When, how long ago? May. It was May. May we moved here. And um, really very much in, in my DNA, as I think hopefully um, will we'll come out as I'm preaching today and on other occasions, um, is a conviction that Christianity is at heart word and spirit. Um, that we believe the, the Bible, God's revealed word to us, um, I believe in the infallibility of God's word. God's word doesn't err. Um, but actually we believe in the, the word of God, in the power of God's Holy Spirit. God uh, gives us his spirit, doesn't he, when we get saved. Uh, but that's not the end. It's the beginning. God wants to empower us day by day. Um, in fact, it's only by his spirit we can live his risen, his risen life. And um, so um, we were looking for a church that's kind of uh, word and spirit. So we found, found you guys and... Uh, uh, so uh, we get here probably once a month, I think something like that, and uh, we very much feel this is our ch- church home uh, when we're here on the island. Uh, great, let me t- uh, pray to start, start off. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for your word and your spirit, just as I've uh, been thinking about just now. We thank you, Lord, as it says in the book of Psalms, the entrance of your word gives light. And so we pray, by your Holy Spirit, you might shine uh, the light of Christ in our hearts and in our minds and we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 So um, Mark's already touched upon this, that um, when I speak occasionally here, um, I'm, I'm going to be following this series called Understanding... Dot, dot, dot. And today we're thinking about um, understanding the charge. Uh, but more generally, each time I speak, for, the, for whenever that might be, the theme is this, understanding, because comprehension is really important, isn't it? It's important to grasp things. It's important to understand things. I don't remember a few years ago, it is a few years ago now, that the technology became available to send a text, not just to another mobile phone in text form, but you could send it to a landline and it converts it into a voice. And um, anyway, I remember when that first came out. It's seared in my memory a few years ago, partly because of a particular episode that happened. I was on the staff then, of a church um, in North London called uh, St Andrew's Chorley Wood. Um, And I was also a tutor at London Bible College called London School of Theology now. And uh, this was when we were first married. There weren't any kids on the scene 
then. And Tammy, my wife, she's a mad skier. She loves skiing. She's just persuaded me at the moment to go off skiing um, um, this, this uh, new year. And I go reluctantly. She's actually she's got a skiing instructor qualification as well. So uh, she's quite into that. Yeah, quite <laughs> impressive. Anyway, this, I remember this particular occasion. Uh, I was home alone at the vicarage in Chorley Wood. Tammy had gone skiing. And uh, some, of the, some of the kids from the church, some of the young people came round um, for a games evening. I thought, take the opportunity with Tammy being away uh, to have them round. I was line manager in charge of the youth at this church in Chorley Wood. And um, the night before this games evening, I remember something weird had happened. I don't know whether it's happened to you. The phone went, and uh, I picked up the phone. Again, this is uh, when we all had landlines. I picked up the landline, and, went, and it was in the middle of the night. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I picked up the phone, and there was no one there. It was just, and I went, hello, hello. And there was no one there. Anyway, this obviously slightly unnerved me because when, when I had the games evening, the young people came around um, to the vicarage. Um, I'd obviously told them about this. I'd told them about this episode happening. Anyway, we proceeded with the games evening. From memory, it was we, we played uh, Chris Tarrant's Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, a DVD version. I got some nutritious food in for the kids, some oven-ready pizza, and uh, there's, a bowl, there's a bowl of fruit as well. And we proceeded, me and some of these young people, or four or five of them that were around, uh, proceeded to play this game, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And at this point, the landline the land um, went. And I picked up the landline, and the voice said this. It said, this is the BT Voice Messaging Service. Press 1 to receive your message. Does it still do that? or is that? Yeah. No, I didn't know that's still working. But this, this technology had just come in. It was, it was brand new. And so I didn't know what was happening. So uh, I'd never come across this before. Uh, so I did what it said. I pressed 1. And uh, then this kind of female staccato electronic voice said this, I know your wife is away. That's all it said. I know it's bizarre. So I was there with the phone. The young people around, it said, I know your wife is away. This is strange. So anyway, I put the phone down. And, but in my mind, I was connecting it with the night before. I thought, gosh, I wonder if it's to do with that. You know, there was that mysterious call in the night. So uh, anyway, the, the kids, the young people just said, who is it? Who is it? And I said, oh, nobody, no, no, no one has a wrong number, I think. Let's just carry on with the game. So we carried on with the game. The phone goes, brruh, brruh. again, this is the second time. Brruh, brruh. So I pick up the phone. This is the BT voice messaging service. Press 1 to receive your message. And then I press 1, and then the same female staccato electronic voice said this. You will be mine. That's all it said. So the first time, I know your wife is away. This time, you will be mine. Just like that. So I'm, I'm panicking now, thinking, oh, there's obviously a stalker. You know, I'm being stalked. I'd never been stalked up until this point. Which surprised me slightly, because I thought I was the kind of person who might get stalked. But uh, anyway, so I began to panic slightly. But I, st- I stayed cool on the outside. But on the inside, I was sort of panicking slightly. thought, what's going on here? And um, so I put the phone down. And the kid said, well, who is it? Who is it? I said, no, nobody. Let's carry on with the game. Carry on with the game. And then the phone goes again a third time. I tried to ignore it. And they said, get the phone, get the phone, the young people. It keeps ringing. So I pick up the phone. It says the same thing, BT voice message service. Press one to receive your message. Press one. And then it said this. I'm coming to stab you in your bed. I know. Yes, I know. It's not funny, actually. Uh, <laughs> it was, so at this point, I panicked. I put the phone down and I said, that's it. Uh, there's somebody out there. Um, they're surrounding the house. I said, I sort of panicked slightly. And at this point, one of the young people called Matt, he was sat on the floor. He picked up his mobile phone and he said, it's me. It's me. <laughs> and uh, basically, it was him. It was, he, it was this kid texting me from in, inside the house. And obviously, he'd remembered that I told him about this mystery call last night, which is obviously nothing. And uh, so he obviously thought he'd have a little bit of fun with the vicar. So uh, that was that. There we go. Anyway, a failure. Obviously, you know, there was a mismatch there going on, wasn't there? The young people were totally in on this. I was completely oblivious 
to what was going on. There was a ma- massive failure of, of uh, understanding. Failure to understand things can have significant consequences. Christianity is a reasonable faith. Um, not like, um, you know, there are some religious worldviews that are out there where um, understanding using the mind is not um, of the essence of what uh, that faith is about. But for, for Christians, we're called to comprehend, we're called to understand because God has made us rational creatures. God has given us minds. And God, uh, and yes, of course, all of us, including our minds, are subject to the fall. Uh, but, God, but God calls us in Christ to be those who have our minds renewed so we can think God's thoughts after him, so we can actually um, imbibe truth and allow that truth to be transformational in our daily lives. So understanding uh, really matters. And so that's why the title of this, uh, this series when I speak is going gonna, is gonna to be Understanding... Dot, 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 uh, because it's important that we grasp truth. Uh, and also the, uh, the, the stand bit is, is there as, as well. Because there's a second meaning to this series, this Mark's idea, it wasn't mine, um, is that actually so often in our contemporary culture, which is more and more counter-cultural, um, it's, it's more and more um, post-Christian, we live more and more, don't we, in a post-Christian paradigm, the necessity is, whether we like it or not, is that we're going to have to make a stand for that truth. Because the age in which... Um, uh, most people agreed basically with the Christian worldview. That time is in- increasingly um, uh, diminishing. Um, we see that, don't we, again and again, reading the newspapers, different uh, pieces of legislation that affect this nation and uh, other Western nations. Um, it seems that the tide is, is, is going out in terms of the influence of Christianity upon this nation. So increasingly, our faith is countercultural. And so we might need to make a stand for the truth. So it's uh, these, these two aspects, really, to, to comprehend truth, uh, to grasp truth as God has revealed it to us in the Holy Scriptures, in the Bible, uh, but also, when, when necessary, to be prepared to make a stand uh, for that truth. And uh, we're thinking today of this topic, understanding the charge. And um, what I'm going to share is based on this passage, 2 Timothy Uh, chapter 4 verses 1 to 8. Perhaps if you've got your uh, Bibles you might want to turn to that. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 8. Let me just read it for us. This is Paul uh, writing to his his charge, his spiritual charge, his mentoree, um, the Apostle Timothy. He says this, he says, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct? Rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Uh, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, 
but, to also, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So the context of these verses is the Apostle Paul in prison writing to his, um, his mentor Timothy and the chronology in terms of Paul's life is that he's coming to the end of his earthly life. Some commentators, some scholars think that these words were penned by Paul possibly weeks before his own death. So whether it was weeks or not, we don't know for sure. But certainly it's towards the end of Paul's death. Paul is about to die as a martyr uh, for the faith. He's about to be executed for the faith um, that he's put in Christ. And so these are um, moving words. They're very poignant words. I I find myself often um, stirred emotionally when I read these words as Paul um, pens, if you like, his famous last words to someone that he's invested in spiritually, somebody that he's been a father to in Christ. And significant in these uh, verses is the charge that Paul gives to his spiritual son. Uh, We can see it there in verse 2. He says, um, at the end of verse 1, I give you this charge, he says, preach the word. Now, less and less, in contemporary culture, I think we're familiar with this this, um, concept of a charge. It's less and less familiar to us as we have a more casual society that is based uh, less perhaps on legal precepts or those legal precepts are less important to people. But just as a reminder, a charge is something uh, which actually in the um, the Greek word that's used here, there's an implication of um, almost a solemn legality. So there's, it's, it's something serious. It's not something which is um, insignificant. Um, So a charge is to entrust someone with a task um, as a duty or a responsibility. And um, so that's what Paul is is doing here. He's being serious. His phraseology um, is um, important uh, and significant. And he's charging um, his spiritual uh, mentor, Timothy, with something. And that charge is simply this. It's It's to preach the word. I give you this charge, he says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season or out of season. In other words, he's saying, you know, whether you feel like it or not. Uh, that maybe would be a, a paraphrase of this. So this charge, it's not based on circumstances. It's not based on your own fleeting emotions, which may go up and down. This is a perennial charge. There's, there's no out of season. This, this is always relevant. This is always true for you. I say the word that he uses... I give this charge. The Greek word diamartomai is the, is the word that's used. In the Greek, it means a legal charge. It's a solemn um, utterance. And, um, and just as the Apostle Paul, as I say, is, is coming to the end of his earthly life, he's weeks, possibly days away uh, from martyrdom. Tradition has it that Paul was decapitated on the Ostian Way in ancient Rome. Um, he'd laboured in the service of the gospel for 30 years uh, in the cause of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he gives, he gives Timothy uh, this charge. Um, preach, preach the word. Be faithful to this, is what he says. Um, just this last term, um, I attended, sadly, a, a funeral of a friend of mine who um, trained with me at Wycliffe Hall. I, I was an ordinand at Wycliffe. It's a little bit strange going back on the faculty when I was a student there. But 25 years ago, I was an ordinand myself. That's where I trained to be a vicar at Wycliffe Hall in Oxford. And I trained, along, I, I trained alongside 
Um, this woman, Sonia Arnold, and, uh, she, was, uh, and uh, uh, she, she trained um, alongside me, and she was the associate vicar of a church in Twickenham, St. Stephen's Twickenham. And um, earlier this year, sometime after Easter, news came through that, sadly, that Sonia had been diagnosed uh, with cancer. And um, as, we did, as, as you'd expect, we, we prayed for her. I went to visit her um, before, uh, before she died. Um, but sadly, um, she died. And so uh, um, uh, last term, a few of us gathered. This is a, a group of us who were, who were students at Wycliffe Hall. Um, we gathered for her funeral. And as you can see on my Facebook, I put there, sad, moving, and poignant day attending the funeral of Sonia Arnold at St. Stephen's Church, Twickenham, where she was associate vicar. Yet a day shot through with hope. She died in the same way that she lived, full of faith and looking to her saviour. And I went to see her, as I mentioned, um, before she died, maybe a month or so before she died, and she was in hospital there in the Twickenham area of London. And um, I was there with another friend, Amanda, and I took some oil along and anointed her forehead with oil and prayed for her, and, and prayed for her healing. And then when I, was, uh, when I f- finished praying, she immediately prayed for me, and I was slightly taken aback by this. So I was, sat by her bedside, I prayed for her, as she lay there within the few, last few weeks of her life. And she, pray, she prayed for me. But before she prayed for me, she gave me this instruction. She pointed at me. She was very, almost you know, quite assertive. And she said, you're an evangelist, she said. And don't, don't waste that gift, uh, she said. Uh, you know, don't waste that gift in, you know, in, in, your, in the college where you are, doing all the academic stuff. That's important. But God's given you a gift as an evangelist, so you need to use that gift. And then she prayed. She, uh, she basically prayed and prayed that I'd use my gift as an evangelist. And then she prayed for me and Amanda, and uh, she said, Lord, and I pray for them that, you might, that they might be full of faith when they come to this moment, whenever it is, when they come to uh, this great adventure of passing into uh, true life, life that really is in all its fullness when we see Christ, not through a glass darkly, but in the words of Paul, face to face. You can imagine it was very moving. My eyes filled with tears, so did Amanda. Uh, it was a very moving occasion. But as I reflected on that afterwards, is she gave me a charge. She was, she was there. She was about to exit this life uh, for life in all its fullness, you know, seeing God uh, in all his fullness and his power. And she gave me this charge. And for me, it was, don't waste that gift. God's given you a gift. Don't, don't, uh, don't waste it. Um, use it. This is the, that's the kind of solemnity, the, the significance, the seriousness that Paul is saying this to his mentoree. I give you this charge Preach the word, he says. Well, what can we uh, draw from this for us? Some of us might say, well, we're not preachers. We're not called uh, to be preachers. Well, I think it's uh, got a, an application to all of us, even um, those of us who are not called to be preachers, obviously, which is uh, most of us here. I'm going to draw out uh, four quick things from, from this in terms of understanding the charge as Paul explains it here um, in Timothy. And the first is this, always witness with the end in mind. So we're not all called to be preachers, that's absolutely true, but we are all called to be witnesses uh, to Christ, aren't we? We're not all called to be evangelists with a capital E. You know, in Ephesians 4.11 it says he called some to be evangelists. But I think we are all called to be evangelists with a small e. We might, or, or, or witnesses. We're all called to, um, to speak of what we have seen and heard. Each one of us in this room has a different story of how Christ has rescued us. And uh, even now, I've not been in the church for, for that long, but I know one or two of your uh, stories um, in terms of how Christ got hold of you, how he, how he took you from darkness and brought you into his glorious light, how he saved you. 
And uh, it's always inspiring, isn't it, to hear those stories. But we're all called to be witnesses. We can all tell our story. Uh, We can all speak of uh, what Jesus has done for us and is doing for us. So uh, point uh, one then, always witness with the end in mind. Now what do I mean by that? Well, notice the Apostle Paul, before he gives this solemn charge to Timothy, there's a little bit of what we might say is, is theological preamble. And it goes like this. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. And I think the problem with this is most of us just view it. When we read this, and even preachers that I've heard who preach this, we often view it as theological preamble. We almost think, well, Paul's just going off on one, a little bit of a tangent here. And then he gets to what he really wants to say. I give you this charge, preach the word. We land on that. But actually, it's not just theological uh, preamble here. What the Apostle Paul is saying um, to his spiritual charge, Timothy, is because these things are true, therefore, I give you this charge. And so what Paul is saying is, because of this, this. Uh, because, and actually, if we, if we, if we uh, look at what Paul is saying here, there are four different beliefs that Paul mentions. So then, four beliefs that will keep you sharing uh, the gospel. Um, God exists, he says, in the presence of God. Um, we, sh- um, we, we take that for granted, but we live in a society where finally um, the new atheism is becoming popular. Um, increasingly, a, a majority of young people are atheists. I remember before I left my parish up in York, I went to speak at a sixth form, and they invited me to come in and speak on Does God Exist? I think it was something like that. And uh, I gave the talk. They were, all, they were all sixth formers here. I gave the talk on the credibility of theism and why God exists. And afterwards, there was Q&A. But the Q&A, um, it slightly took me aback. It shouldn't have done, really. The Q&A was really quite volatile. So I had all these young people um, really quite aggressively arguing that, um, God didn't exist, and if God existed, this, this, and this, and what about you know, these various objections they had? It was really animated, and many of these young people were a- atheists. When I was at school, I don't know about you, when I was at s- school, there was one atheist in the class. I remember, he's a mate of mine, actually, I'm still in touch with him now. Colin the Atheist, we called him. And, uh, and we, we called him Colin the Atheist because, okay, most people weren't Christians. Most people, what you might have, sa- might have said, were passive theists. You know, they thought they were Christians, but they were not. They just believed in God. But atheism is alive and deadly, and it's increasing in uh, Western nations, in this, in this nation. So uh, uh, God exists in the presence of God. God is for real, um, Paul, Paul says. Who will judge the living and the dead? Do you know, there's, uh, uh, Jesus Christ has been appointed by God as judge, and he will judge the living and the dead. Um, and in view of his appearing... Paul there is referring to the second coming of Jesus. The Greek word that's used is parousia, um, word that theologians use to talk about the second coming of of Christ. That's what he's referring to here. uh, here. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. There's a little creed that we use in the Church of England uh, sometimes to affirm that truth that Jesus Christ will return to this earth, not as a babe in Bethlehem as the first time, but he'll come in glory to judge the living and the dead, to finally banish evil, to cast down evil under his feet, and to establish his kingdom, which will know no end. Christ will return. Uh, and in view of his kingdom, um, says Paul, uh, Christ is an unstoppable kingdom. And the kingdom has been inaugurated, of course, 2,000 years ago, when the king of the kingdom came to this earth um, in the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnation. I think about 
uh, that in December. Um, so there is a coming kingdom. So what Paul uh, is saying, because of this, this, because these things are true, then uh, preach the word. And actually, it's important that we uh, hold on to this apostolic deposit of faith because we live in a time where there are people, uh, so-called Christians, who are diluting or even denying uh, some, of these, uh, some of these truths. For example, there's a, um, there is a judgment to come. I remember when I was training to be a vicar, we all had to go on placement, we still do, and uh, I said to the vice principal at the time, he was in charge of place, placements, I said to him, I'll go anywhere, but I don't want to go rural or liberal. Liberal theologically, they didn't believe the Bible. Anyway, sure enough, he sent me to a rural liberal church. I think that's what he thought. Anyway, I went there, and um, the, uh, the vicar there, in conversation with him, he told me he was a universalist. You know, he, did, he, be, he basically believed that uh, everybody was going to heaven. That basically, there's no heaven and hell. Everybody's going to get there in the end. And uh, so I took the opportunity on this placement to preach every opportunity. He gave me lots of opportunities because he wasn't into preaching very much. And a number of people came, came to Christ. Um, notably, his lay reader, I remember that. He had a, he had a, a preacher called a, a lay reader. And there was a guest service in this, the ruins of this abbey towards the end of my placement there. Um, and I preached the gospel. And I gave a, an appeal, an altar call, and said if anyone wanted to, to give their life to Christ, they could uh, pray this prayer of commitment to Jesus Christ. And then I went and sat back on the row. Um, in, with my, my, my cassock and surplus on, and the vicar was there in his, in his robes, and the lay reader, who was a licensed reader of the Church of England, and the lay reader turned, out, turned to me and he said, I prayed the prayer. He said, so uh, I thought that was good, because it's always great, I think, to have a converted clergyman. And uh, I mean, I'm, old, I'm old-fashioned like that. Call me old-fashioned if you like. But I think a converted minister really helps. But, uh, you know, four beliefs that will keep you preaching the gospel. Let's hold fast to the apostolic faith once delivered um, to the saints. It's been passed on to us from generation uh, to generation. We're called to, um, to pass that on to the next generation. Okay, the next one. Beware of a gospel, inverted commas, based on changing culture, not changeless scripture. So Paul prophesies, you know, his famous last words. Uh, he says, a time will come, he says, when people won't put up with sound doctrine, that sound teaching, the truth. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a number of teachers, to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth to myths to that which is, to that which is not true. There's a huge temptation um, as Christianity uh, or the Christian influence on our nation, um, uh, as, as that subsides, as we enter this kind of post-Christian paradigm, there's a huge temptation for those of us who are Christians to cut, to cut our cloth according to what people want to hear, according to what people want to believe. And um, um, I could go on about the particular issues this affects. You, could, uh, um, you can imagine yourselves what kind of issues are those hot-button hot issues that are, are affected in this way. But Paul actually says, um, for those of you who belong to Christ, your faith is based on revelation from heaven, not from the philosophy um, uh, of, of human beings and so he says um, beware of a gospel based on culture which is constantly changing rather than changeless scripture we're, we're called to base our faith on that which God has spoken okay number three never forget that discipleship is cruciform in other words never forget that being a follower of Jesus is 
cross-shaped. But you, he says, again to Timothy, his, his, his mentoree, he says, you, he says, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. It's interesting, this interjection by the Apostle Paul, um, you can almost sense the passion in his charge that he gives Timothy here. He said, this is the way of the world. This is, this is what will happen. There'll be people who follow the way of the world rather than divine revelation. People will follow uh, the pattern and the philosophy of, of human beings. He says, but you, but you, you're different, he says. Not you, he says. You're, you're called to be different. You're called to dance to the beat of a different drum. I remember John Stott, some of you might have come, uh, come across him, you might have heard of uh, John Stott, he was a, a theologian, evangelical theologian in the church, died a few years ago, and uh, I had the privilege of working for him as his study assistant, so before I went to theological college, I worked as his study assistant based in London, and um, various things that he said to me stick in my mind, but one of them is this, I remember he said to me once, he said, Greg, he said, I really believe if we would compromise less as Christians, we would suffer more. That was his analysis. If we, would, if we would compromise less, we would suffer more. He wasn't advocating that we all you know, should suffer, bring on the suffering. He was simply saying that to be true to apostolic biblical Christianity is countercultural, and we shouldn't be surprised if we get opposition from people, even perhaps within the church. We're called to live a cross-shaped life. We're called to live a cruciform life. Okay, uh, finally, fourth and finally, cultivate living missionally. But you, he says to Timothy, keep your head in all situations uh, and your hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Much has been said about this by various uh, Bible scholars and commentators. Um, and it's generally thought that Timothy wasn't himself an evangelist, not in the sense that Paul was, not in the sense that Paul defines it in Ephesians chapter 4.11. But nonetheless, he's calling Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, to pastor as if he was an evangelist, to live his life in a way which is missional. And that is a charge which is applicable not just from Paul to Timothy, it's applicable to every Christian, it's applicable to us here today. Whatever, whatever we do, whatever our sphere of occupation is, uh, whether we work in retail uh, or medicine or IT or whatever it might be, we're to live the whole of our lives in a missional way that exudes the gospel. Yes, uh, there are um, constraints where, where we can't always speak good news to people. We need to be sensitive to that. But we don't need to be so sensitive that actually we're almost like an anonymous Christian at work, that people don't know our allegiance to Jesus Christ. We're to live the whole of our lives in a missional way and always be prepared uh, to speak of the faith that we have in Jesus. I'm going to just finish by sharing a story that happened to me a few years ago when um, I was at a conference um, in, in Brighton. And it was actually the, the New Frontiers Conference. So that it was one of the last ones before it finished. So how long ago was that, Mark? About 10 years ago? Was it eight years ago? So basically, there was, it was one of the last ones anyway uh, that, was, that happened in, in Brighton. And so I went to this, this conference... And I stayed in Hove. So Hove, you might know, is a, is a town uh, next, next to Brighton. Some of Tammy's friends lived in Hove. So I uh, stayed there because we had some friends that were there. And there was one particular morning. I was uh, late for the conference. I had, to, I had to get a bus from Hove into the centre of Brighton. 
So I came out of my house, and the house that I was staying on was near the seafront there in Hove, um, parallel to, uh, to the coast. And I, I, was, I needed to find a bus, so I, was, I, I got out of the house, and uh, um, there was a woman in her early 20s who approached me on the, the pavement. And I, I simply stopped her and said, excuse me, could you tell me where the bus is to get into Brighton? Turns out this woman was um, called Faye, um, and she, she was in her early 20s. And as she was giving me directions to, to get into the centre of Brighton, I noticed that Faye had um, a mark on her, her forehead. It, was kind of, it looked as if she'd just recently fallen over, um, and it was, it was red, and it, was, it had obviously not been, been treated. So I said, are you all right? I just asked her how she, how she was. And she said, oh, yeah, she, she'd, um, um, she'd had, a, had a fall the night before, and she'd not managed uh, to treat it, and she said it was throbbing with, with pain. So I just said to her, look, I said, I'm a... I'm a vicar. Can I, could I just pray for you? And um, it's one of those things, the words came out of my mouth without thinking about it. And she said yes, and I thought, well, um, and I was kind of found myself in this situation. So I, I, I prayed for her. I just said a simple prayer there in the street that God would bring healing to her. And it was, just as the prayer ended, she, she looked up and she, she said, the pain's gone. The mark was there. It looked, it looked just the same. But she said, the throbbing, the pain that was there, she said, it's, com- she, she said, it's gone. So I said to her this, I said, do you believe in God? And she said, uh, well, she said, actually, I believe in a higher power. And then something of her story came out. It turned out that Faye, she told me, had struggled for a number of years with alcoholism. It was due to her drinking that she'd fallen down the night before and, and injured herself in that particular way. And she told me she, you know, as you, as you probably know, as part of the 12-steps program, it's one of the things is to believe in a, a power beyond yourself, a higher power. So she said, anyway, I believe in a higher power. So I said to this, I said, well, Faye, I don't believe it's a coincidence that we bumped into each other today um, because I think, you know, that, that's of, of God, that's of God. And I think the reason why we've bumped into each other today is for me to tell you that this higher power, his name is Jesus. And, uh, and I took the opportunity to share the gospel with her simply as I could, um, um, the essence of, of the good news. And then when I f- finished, Faye said, uh, I asked her if she wanted to give her life to Christ, and she did. So I had the pr- privilege of praying with her um, to give her life to Christ. And uh, Faye um, turned from her sin, she gave her life to Christ. I put a hand on her sh- shoulder and prayed for her. And as, as um, I began to pray for her, she began to shake. Um, she'd given her life to Christ, just prayed for her to be filled with the Spirit. She began to shake and, um, and started to cry. And then she vomited twice on the pavement, I remember. Sort of, uh, sort of twice on the pavement, I remember. It was this kind of yellowy-greeny colour. I remember, I, I remember that. She was, sorry, too much information, you're probably thinking here. She was slightly surprised because she said, oh, I've only had eggs for breakfast. So she was, I've only had toast, you've only had toast for breakfast. So she was a little bit surprised. Uh, anyway, by now, so she'd, uh, she was actually shaking and she was crying, she just vomited. And um, so I thought, um, I'd better offer to help her and practically take, you know, take her back to where she lives or something like this. Because I thought, if I just leave her now, you know, um, she, you know, she's just given her life to Christ. But on the surface, she looks in, in worse state than when I met her. You know, but that wasn't, that wasn't the case, because um, she'd encountered God in this way. So I said, where is it that you live? So she lived on one of the adjoining roads. I basically took her back to her flat. She lived in this little bed sit. Uh, we went inside... And uh, I tried to be practical. And I said, look, uh, where were you going? What, how can I help? She said, well, I was just going to the uh, shop to buy some cat food. She said, and a little pet, pet cat was there. And she said, I was just going to get some pet food. And I said, well, where's the shop? I'll go and get the cat food. And, um, and uh, she said, I don't need to tell me where the sh- shop was. And, and I said, just, um, just you know, stay here. I said, and just you know, pray. Just talk, talk, talk to Jesus. And, um, and I'll go and get the cat food. And uh, so off I, off I went. Anyway, at this point, I knew it wasn't, wasn't bad because as I, left through, as I was left to go out the door, she looked up at me and she said, are you an angel? 
And I said, no, just a Church of England vicar. I said, but anyway, I got to, I got to the shop, and uh, I'd not bought any cat food ever in my life. We did have a pet cat when I was a little kid, but we, I never bought any pet food ever. My mum used to do that. And there was loads of different varieties, so I thought, you know, you know which, one, which one do I get? I thought, oh, which one do I get? You know, chicken and liver, and all this. Some of them look quite nice, even for a vegetarian. But I looked at different ones, part-time vegetarian. And... Um, um, I looked at them, and I, I sense, now this might sound weird, um, I, sense, I sense the Lord say, buy all of them. That's what I sense, buy all of them. So I didn't have time to argue with God on this occasion, as I sometimes do. So I did, so I bought all the different flavours. I went back to, to Faye's bed sit, I, I went in there, and I made this uh, little sort of pyramid of all the, fl- all the flavours, the different tins, and made all the flavours, and she was a bit surprised at me buying all of them. And she said, do I owe you some money? And I said, no, oh, no, it's absolutely fine. And... Um, I felt God wanted me to say something through the cat food, like basically like prophesy through the cat food. I know this is a bit weird. They didn't teach me to do this at Wycliffe Hall when I was uh, 25 years ago, and it's not on the curriculum now. But anyway, but, but it's very simple. I just, I just said, I said, Faye, I believe that I, Faye, I believe that the Lord would say, you know, if I love your cat this much, how much more do I love you? That, that was it. And she began to, she began to cry. And um, before I left, I, um, I offered to pray with her. Um, again, and um, we, we prayed, and I anointed her with some oil, and, um, and as I was praying, I got a, a sense, um, a prophetic sense, that Faye had been tempted very recently to, t- to take her own life, to, to end it all, and so I just spoke it out, and I said, Faye, I get you know, a sense that you were tempted to, uh, to take your own life by, dr- by drowning, by actually drowning yourself in, the, in this sea here, and, um, and, uh, um, and I and I said, the picture I get is the end of the road. I said, turn left, you know, a few hundred yards. And, um, and then I spoke some affirming words of God being a God of life and God loving her and, into her life as well. She was, in, she was in tears and she said to me this. She said, you know, she said, I've been tempted to take my life on many occasions, she said. Um, but only once in the way that you describe it. So it was just a few weeks ago. Um, she said, it got too much and I was tempted. And it was just what you said. It was the end of the road, turn left, a few hundred yards. I was tempted to just walk into the sea there. And in Hove, until I until I um, drown myself, and um, so I so I basically finished praying with her, and off I went to the conference. Co- conference was on the rest of the week. At the end of the week, I thought I better go. And, I should go and see her perhaps before I go home. Bought her a Bible from the conference bookshop. Knocked on the door of her bedsit. Didn't quite expect to know what to find. And Faye opened the door. She was really pleased to see me. Um, and uh, the first thing I noticed that her, her bedsit, which was really unkempt before, it was changed. It had all, all been cleaned up. It looked completely different. Anyway, she sat me down and she was all excited. She said, you know, the last few days has been amazing since I, since I met you that time on the street and um, we, we prayed. And she said, the first thing is, um, she said, um, I've had this tremendous sense of peace. She said, because of the alcoholism, I'd suffered from insomnia for years. I'd not been able to sleep at all more than just two or three hours. And she said, but that night, the night that... You know, she prayed in the street. She said, um, I went to sleep and I slept all the way through this amazing, peaceful night's sleep. And um, she said, it was amazing. And she said, and also I've been praying. Um, she said, I've been praying to Jesus as the higher power, like you're saying. And she said, you know, she said, when I pray, she said, this tingling starts in my hands. And I can feel this tingling go up through my arms into my chest. And I feel this warmth. And, and I said, Faye, that's the Holy Spirit. I believe that's God by his Holy Spirit just touching you. And, um, and she said, uh, also, she said, I went to the Alcoholics Anonymous group the other night, and I told them the story. She said, I'm normally timid and don't really see, say very much. I'm pretty nervous. But when it came time to speak, she said, I told them. I said that I'd met this vicar on the street, and I said that he'd led me to Jesus. 
and he prayed for me and uh, something came out of me. That was her, her words, uh, not mine. And she said, I'm no- normally um, nervous about that, but uh, I, I shared with the, with the group. She said, you know, the, the past few days, she'd not, she'd not had a drink. She said, uh, obviously it was early days, but she said she'd not had a drink. She was normally drinking on a daily basis. She'd not had a drink. And she said the desire to drink had gone as well. She said, this, this past week, she said, it's been amazing. She said, it's been so amazing. She said that sometimes I've been tempted to think, you know, was it... Was it all a dream or something, Didn't it, or a hallucination? She said, I used to hallucinate sometimes because of the alcoholism. And she said, but whenever I thought that, she said, uh, you know, maybe I just made it up and hallucinated. She said, I'd just go to the cupboard, open the cupboard, and she'd say, oh, oh there was all the tins of cat food. And she said, I knew it, I knew it was true. You know, I'd love, to, I'd love to say that things like that happen all the time. To me, to me they, don't, they don't. This is a pretty rare occurrence. But actually, the fact that things do happen like that, that the kingdom breaks in, in a way, to bring not just salvation, but, but healing and hope and wholeness to, to an individual, simply affirms what the Bible uh, says uh, throughout, um, that actually um, that God is more desirous to connect with, with us than we are to him. Jesus said, uh, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And actually, it's that apostolic gospel that we're called to, not to bend it or distort it or dilute it, um, to fit in with contemporary culture as contemporary culture becomes more and more post-Christian, but simply to believe it and seek to live it in a way that God might transform us and we ourselves become agents of transformation in the world. That's the charge, brothers and sisters. That's the charge, not just from Paul to Timothy, but that's the charge uh, from God to each one of us here today, each one of us uh, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, that we might be those who live out this glorious gospel um, in this uh, sin-sick world which so badly needs to hear it and see it demonstrated. Uh, let me just uh, pray together as we, we, as we finish. So, Father, we thank you uh, for your word. And just as Paul um, gave that charge to Timothy 2,000 years ago, when, before he was coming to the end of his own earthly ministry, before... Um, He was martyred for his faith in you. We recognize, Lord, that that solemn charge is uh, for us today as well. Uh, Lord, thank you that your gospel is true, that uh, God, not just that you exist, uh, but that your kingdom is real, more more real than anything we can see, um, experience, imagine. We recognize, Jesus, that you're coming again to this earth in glory and that one day each one of us will stand before you as our judge. You will judge the living and the, and the dead. And just in, in view of those things, uh, Lord, we recognize that Paul said to Timothy, um, preach the word, that was the charge. Lord, in the light of those things, may we live the gospel. In the light of those things, may we uh, be prepared to be your witnesses. In the light of those things... Uh, may we recognize that uh, we have this good news to proclaim, both in, um, in uh, our speech, but in our lives, how we live our lives. And we recognize too, Lord, there's power in a transformed life. And so to touch our lives, change our lives, transform our lives, uh, we pray that we might be ambassadors of this good news and see many um, within our community come to know you, uh, be touched and be changed. And we ask these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Amen.